Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 to verse 18, and I shall read to you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? We have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the point of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasure possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us seek the Lord's blessing before we come to the word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you, Lord, once again for giving us a time and a place whereby your people can come as one or to worship you or to offer to you a very feeble sacrifice of praise to seek you in prayer and now, Lord, to hear from the preaching of your word. Again, Lord, we commend this hour of learning to your hands. They will be pleased to grant, Lord, first and foremost, even the preacher, the clarity of mind and speech that he may preach your word, Lord, in boldness, in conviction and in all clarity, O oh Lord. Pray for the church too as we gather around your word. Be pleased to command your blessing from on high. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to open our ears that we may hear your word. May we be pleased to soften our hearts and open our hearts that we may receive your word in faith and in tenderness of heart and mind. So help us, O oh Lord, that this our learning may bring glory and honor to your name. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, I was on a business trip to an Asian country. And after I had done my work, after the trade show was over, I decided to do a little shopping. And I went to a, these sports shops in a big shopping mall in the middle of the city to buy a harvest set. And after I chose what I like, I read the labels carefully to ensure that it is really made by that particular brand or a particular country and with a number as well, a bird set to that harvest set as well. I want to ensure that I'm buying the real thing. And I assume I bought the real thing because it's from a shop in a big shopping mall and not from some street market. And I, when I look at the price, I was delighted because it cost half. We have cost half of what I have bought in Singapore. So I thought I got a good deal. So I bought my new set back to work once I was back in Singapore. But a colleague of mine who, was, who knew branded goods or branded stuff well, he, he took a hard look at my set 
then you feel the texture. You look at it, you look inside, look outside, and immediately conclude, Moses, we have bought a fake goods. In Chinese, it's called A-Huo. But, but I told him, no, no, I bought it from a shop, no, in a shopping mall, not from the street market. You know, Moses, you look at the treading, it's so bad. You see the back have no padding. The real stuff have a padding at the back. And, and the zip, it should not be. And he assured me that knew in no time your zip will go rusty. I was shocked. See, I, okay, I take his word for it. But I have to use it anyway, since I bought it and I pay a good sum for it, though it's half the price of what I would be paying in Singapore. I use it for a few months, but the next few months proved to be very frustrating for me. First of all, there's no padding at the back. It's really bad for my back. And then uh, the threading starts to come out by and by. And then the zip really got rusty after the heavy downpour. It got wet and the zip turned rusty and well, that fake harvest failed to stand the test of time. Within six months, I have to change it. I, in the end, I had to go to my old trusted Queen's Ray Shopping Center to buy a proper harvest from a, yeah from a shop there. We are now on Malachi's sixth message to the people of God. And Malachi has sought to peel off and to expose the spiritual state of the people of God in his time by pointing out their failings in a number of areas we have noted earlier on, in the area of worship of God, in the area of their honour for God, in the area of their marriages, and of course also by extension in their failing in their relationship with one another. And also last week we have seen how they have failed in their giving of tithes and offerings to the Lord. They have robbed the Lord. They have plundered the Lord. And now in the sixth message, Malachi got to the heart of the matter. Even though it is a hard and painful truth, he contrasts the genuine, genuine faith with the fake faith of the people of God. Fake believers are like the seeds that fall on the stony ground and thorny bush in the parable of the sower. They will not stand the test of time. Well, the seeds grow up like the rest, and they display all the appearances and all the characteristics of a plant. It looks green. It looks like a plant. It behaves like a plant. But they are not rooted in God in the first place. Fake or false believers are not rooted in God in the first place. And soon the world and the trials of life choke the life out of them. But on the other hand, the seed that fall on good ground and are rooted in Christ, even though they face similar temptations and trials like the rest, they persevere on in the faith. 
Not only they persevere on, they grow. And they bring forth much fruit for God's glory. Genuine believers persevere to the end because of Christ's unfailing preservation. That is the fifth point of our Calvinism, of the five points of Calvinism. Why believers are saved, once saved, always saved, is because Christ preserved them to the end. The saints persevere because of Christ's preservation to the end. And now Malachi began his sixth message by bringing a charge to the people of God as he had done before in his earlier messages. And in this charge, he essentially brings to the attention of the people of God what are contrary to genuine faith. Or in short, he points out who are the fake and who are the genuine believers in the Lord. Now what what is contrary to genuine faith. We can read of that from verses 13 to 15 in our text. First of all, the fake believer or the false believer speaks hard things about God. And we have seen some of the hard things spoken by them already in our previous studies of the book. The hard things are how have you loved me? Us, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord's table may be despised, chapter 1, verse 7. And where is the God of justice? Chapter 2, verse 17. These are just a couple of examples. There are more. And on the side, they may even say, their Jehovah God, their Jehovah God is powerless because they are under the rule of the pagan Persian Empire. The Lord is not fulfilling His promises to their fathers and the Lord is not giving them a bumper harvest as He had promised in Deuteronomy if they obey Him. But have they obeyed the Lord? And they continue to speak hard things about God Till the time of Jesus. Remember the Pharisees say some of the most hideous and hardest things about God. They say it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts up demons. Jesus Christ is doing a good work even in the eyes of the world, of men. Yet they attribute that miracle of Jesus to the power of Beelzebub. Most hideous, most hardest things they say about God. And men continue to say hard things about God. They say God is dead. You see, to them, the earth is like a clock. And God just wind up the clock. Or you using digital watch, you will not understand what I meant by wind up the clock. You have to wind up the clock before the clock can move. So they, to them, earth is like a clock. And God just wind up the clock and let it run on its own. They 
They say that God is not good and powerful to stop Holocaust after Holocaust. Disaster after disaster. And pandemic after pandemic. These are the hard things that the world is speaking about God. Just like the people of God of old and through the ages. See, at the back of this hard sayings about God lies an ungrateful heart. The people of God of old and in Malachi's time have forgotten how the Lord had blessed them. You see, man, sinful man, is unworthy of the Lord's blessing in the first place. They deserve God's wrath and judgment, for they have sinned against Him. They have disobeyed the Lord, and they follow other gods. The commentary you can find at the end of Second Chronicles is very sad. The Lord has been sending prophets after prophets, messenger after messenger, to warn His people to turn from their sinful ways and to turn back to Him. To a point where the Scripture say, "Till there is no remedy." They sin till the point where there is no remedy, and the Lord had to send them into exile. But the Lord kept His promise to their fathers. The Lord have a wrath and remnant, and He brought them back to the land of promise. That he may continue to work out his promise of redemption for the ages. They have forgotten about that. They have forgotten how the Lord brought them back, helped them to rebuild their house, the temple of God, and even the walls of Jerusalem. The Lord had brought them back to rebuild their lives and give them a place where they can, can where they can, can call home, where they can worship the Lord. And the life also spared them from their enemies around them. They are indeed compressed, hard pressed by enemies around them, and the Lord preserved them from the, any attacks from the their enemies. And by way of illustration, even if you go to Israel today, it's a beautiful but insecure place. Everywhere you can see. Because enemies are all about all around them. Everywhere you can see people carrying a gun, rifle, as if it's carrying a toy gun, walking in the shopping mall, walking to the bazaar, walking to the museums. You can see them carrying an automatic weapon with them. Where Singaporeans have to keep a weapon in the armory. They carry their weapons everywhere they go. And they put their actually they put their food weapons at home in case of any emergency. The people of God should be praising and blessing the Lord. Not to speak hard things about the Lord. But it's often the case, isn't it? We, not only the people of God of old, but we, we often bite the hands who bless us. And we turn bitter toward God, toward the Lord, when life is not going our way, it is our fallen nature. Though redeemed by God, redeemed by Christ, but it remains so. This tendency to turn bitter, 
to say hard things about God remain in us because of our fallen nature. And when life is not going our way, when we, we can't get our things that we want in our life, we turn bitter. And we bite the hands. The very hand that blessed us, not only with material blessing, but with salvation so rich and free. Now it is bad enough to speak hard things about God. It is worse when you are oblivious to it. But the people of God of in Malachi's time. Now some commentators think that they are being defiant when uh, Malachi charges them. They ask a question like, when, when, when have we said bad things about you, God? But others think that they are indeed oblivious to about their spiritual state. And I tend to take the second position. I think they are really oblivious. Looking in my own spiritual life, I can identify with them. Why? Because sin and the love of the world have hardened their hearts. They have dulled their senses, their spiritual senses. And worst of all, they have seared their conscience. Sear their conscience by the sin and the love of the world. Therefore, they are oblivious. They are untouched by sin, so to speak. They have become insensitive to sin. And we, not only the people of God of old, but we are in danger of falling into this state of oblivion. When we sin against the Lord continuously, when we never turn from our sin and confess our sin to the Lord, we are in danger, great danger, of falling to a state of oblivion, not oblivious to sin. You also note that, or the text also tells us that the fake or the false believers serve the Lord for material blessings. They are what I call fair and good weather believers. When times are blooming, they shout hallelujah. When times are bad, they will curse God and die. They come to church for various reasons. For social networking, for time to for a perk up time, hoping that the sermon will be inspirational, motivational for the week. They, some come for business opportunities. I have an old acquaintance from a neighboring country, and we were, we were doing some, in my company and his company, we were doing some work together. And he, he's a brother in Christ, at least a professed brother in Christ. And on one occasion, when we were having a meeting, he showed me a booklet. Say, what booklet was that? Say, See, he, tell me, he told me that he, he was a member of a business fellowship group in the country and they have 2,000 members. And then tell me, Moses, look at this. The moment you give me a product, I can activate 2,000 businessmen to buy from you and to sell in their state. Now I was thinking, 2,000, you mean you know 2,000 of them? You know them personally? 
to able to persuade them to take up my product and to sell them throughout the country. Of course, at the back of my mind, I was saying, well, why, you, you, why do you join this organization? Is it for mutual encouragement and exhortation in, in the business world as a Christian? Or are you using that booklet, that directory, for your own good, to serve your end? And some, some come to church for looking for life partners, and not uncommon. Christian men and Christian girls are supposed to be the best crop of the land, so they come here looking for a good Christian spouse, though they are not. But when they cannot fulfill their needs, or their needs are not met, in any way. They say it is vain. It is vain to serve the Lord. They say it is unprofitable to walk and to worship the Lord when the material blessings are not forthcoming. The reference in our text about them walking in mourning signifying it's a religious act. Mourning before the Lord, pleading for the Lord to send rain, maybe, on the land. But when that fails, fails to bring forth any blessing from the Lord, they begin to complain. They begin to say that it is vain to serve the Lord. And remember the crowd who stopped following Christ when the Lord refused to give them any more free bread or free bread and fishes or to fulfill their dreams of being free from the Romans, the crowd walked away. And Christ had to turn to them, turn to the, those remaining, will you also go away? The same question is posed to us today. When your dreams are not met, your dream is not God's dream for your life, but God, your dream is not met. Or not answered by the Lord. And you find you, will you also walk away? And the sad thing is, crowds and crowds of professed believers or even fake believers are still serving the Lord for material blessings. Of course, the false or the fake believers hold to a skilled or wrong view of God. See, the reason why they speak hard things about God, most likely is because of their thoughts of God are flawed. Their theology are flawed. Their theology or the knowledge of God is based on the world and not on the will of God. In Malachi's time and also in our times, the world speaks the same thing. The world says, might is right. You have your muscles, you can get your job done. Even in church. They say money can make the world go round. With money, you can get the crowds into the church. No issue. 
the words also say as long as it works so long as it works is a good method and the world says the ends justify the means you want to grow your church that's your ends how to get there so long you can grow your church every any means and every means is possible And the world says all authorities, your governments, your parents, your of course the retail shops, and even the church, they are service providers. The citizen, the students, the family members, the members of the church, they are all customers. And customers are always right. You have to pay it to their you have to please your customer if you will function as a in the world today it's not based on the will of God it's never never based on the will of God and the will of God never says God help those who help themselves Christ never say that Christ never say God help those who help themselves so these are the worldly philosophy that we can get from the world unconsciously and how at the end the part is we go with the flow of the world with the world we walk with the world and we go with the flow of the, of the world very sad isn't it when we take our cue yes there's much common sense and even wisdom from the philosophy of the world but they is never never based on word of god we have to reject them but the false believers follow. Anyway, they are, these ideas are all in their mind in the first place. They, are never, they have not been transformed in the first place by the word of God and by the renewing of their mind. And by and by, when the church is not walking at their drumbeat, they become disillusioned with God. Disillusionment sets in so easily in the lives of a professed believer or even a fake believer and even with a genuine believer when you follow the ways of the world when your knowledge of God and when your theology is based on not based on the will of God but on the world you will be disillusioned in no time and disillusionment with God is a I would say something is a scourge. Maybe not with the youth of the church because they are still learning and budding and so much thing in the scripture for them to learn. But this illusion set in among the more senior members of the church, more senior believers in the Lord because in a sense they have been there, done that, seen that, taste that, experienced that. They get this illusion with their faith in, in the church, with God, easily. So it is really for us to watch out on this, this illusion with God and with the things of God alone. Now what we have seen, the, what is contrary to genuine faith, now we shall look at the descriptions of genuine faith and we can read that from one verse, in fact one part of the verse, verse 16. First of all, 
the, the one who possess genuine faith fear the Lord. They fear the Lord. We are not talking about a slavish faith here in the first place. It's not a, in a sense, a master-slave relationship we are talking about here. Well, a slave, of course, even a servant or even an employee fear their master in different degrees. Of course, nowadays, I think our employee, employees do not fear their superior anymore in the genuine sense of the word fear. But we are not talking about that kind of fear anymore. When they find fault with you, when you will be punished, when you did not conform to uh, their standards or you have failed to hand up your work in time. Not that kind of fear. We are talking about an awe. A-W-E. For the Lord. Where we call the Lord and we acknowledge that the Lord is awesome. I told you I'm not, I'm not very stingy with the word awesome. I do not post it in my Facebook anymore. In praise of my any post that's being posted, no matter how beautiful the picture is, I will not say awesome. Because the word awesome rightly and only reserved by, for the Lord. The Lord is awesome. And we fear Him when we are filled with awe. The awe of the Lord. That is the fear. In awe of the Lord we are talking about here. And we are also talking about a godly fear and faith in the Lord. See, these two go hand in hand. When we have a godly fear for the Lord, we have faith in the person, in the awesome God whom we fear. We will not dread to go into the Lord's presence. When you dread, to go into the Lord's presence, you are harboring a slavish fear. You are like a, teach, a student who has failed to hand up his homework, standing outside the teacher's room, waiting to be summoned in. That is the dread, right? You dread to go inside your teacher's room when you did not hand in your assignment in time. When you have lots of explanation to do, that is the dreadful fear or the slavish fear. What we are talking here is a godly fear who push you encourage you to go into the presence of the Lord. Someone like a child walking into the parents' room and telling, asking their daddy and mommy, Dear mom, can I speak with you? And you have faith in the Lord that he will accept you into his presence. But that's how we should go into prayer every time. Not with a dreadful fear, but with a godly and awesome fear for the Lord. And have faith, not in ourselves, but in the finished work of Christ, whom He has already paid for us on the cross. And we cannot enter into God's presence, into the presence of the Lord, through His blood and in Christ's righteousness. That is how. Secondly, they also spoke with one another. Interestingly, we are not told the content of their speech. What did they speak about? That God would pay attention to and got hurt. Of 
course, God, God hears even the secret conversation in our heart. But we can guesstimate if there's such a word from the, in English. But we can guesstimate from the, or we can refer to other parts of Scripture to see what is the main contents of their conversation, whom the Lord has taken notice of, whom the Lord heard. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, the Lord, well, God has exhorted his people to speak of the law of the Lord, even in the household. You can refer to it on your own. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. This commandment is not only reserved for the parents of the household, but for every believer. We are to speak of the law of God in our rise, ring up. Moment rise up, the moment we goes to bed. And it is important for us to speak of the law of God to one another. But before we even speak of the before we even speak the law of God to one another, or the word of God to one another, first of all, we have to speak the law of God and the word of God or the word of God to ourselves first. We must delight and we must meditate. Of course, we must read the Word of God ourselves first. Before we even have the content or to carry on this conversation with one another, we cannot be running on empty, right? So we need to be what, immersed in the Word of God, in the Lord of God, ourselves first. Reading His Word, coming to hear the preaching of the God's word and reading books that explain and apply God's word and reading books that help us to understand and to read God's word. Lots of reading, yes, but this is a prerequisite before we can carry on this conversation with one another. And of course, we have to be, in a sense, uh, whether it's Asian culture or whether it's our uh, sinful nature, we have to make it a deliberate attempt, right, to talk about things of God to one another. We do normally, we can talk about politics, we can talk about scandals, we can talk about weather, we can talk about many other things under the sun, uninhibited, but we come to about the things of God, about the scriptures, about even, how are you, brother? How is your reading of the scripture this week? We... I, we frown or we dare not to ask one another these sort of things. So we did have to be deliberate. Have to, I wouldn't say force ourselves. We have to really come out of, the, our, of our shelf and ask, Brother, how's your prayer life this week? Anything I can pray for you, brother or sister in Christ? It sounds natural here, but later on you'll find, you won't find me doing that to you. Because I still, I, I myself face inhibition. To do that. But we have to be deliberate to do that. And of course, beside the law of God, my old friend, the Puritan Thomas Watson, in his book, The Great Gain of Godliness, uh, give us more suggestions of what are the things that we can speak to one another when he has found on this verse in that book. Okay, now, Thomas Watson is, I would say, the most readable, the most accessible, 
the most simple, but yet the most thorough of all the Puritans that I've come across. Very thorough. So he'll do, he'll leave every stone. He will he will not he will turn every stone for you to see what's beneath the text. So he had given us some suggestions, and I would also like to give you all the same suggestions. First of all, we are to speak to one another, or we are to exhort one another. Exhortations and exhortation or encouragement or even instruction will comprise subjects like the preciousness of Christ. Something unheard of today. We don't speak of that anymore. How precious Christ is to you and to me. Or the beauty of holiness. And of course, the next subject, we will not really even talk about that at all. For his house is the sinfulness of sin. Sometimes we laugh or we skip over people's sin. No, it's so hideous, the sin, the act of sin is to the Lord. And of course, we are to exhort one another as pertain to our spiritual wellness. Simple questions like, how are you, brother, in your prayer life? How are you in your work with the Lord? Anything I can pray for you. And also you can share your prayer requests to one another. Things that pertain to our spiritual wellness. Of course, we, and here interestingly, he also suggests that we have to speak of reproof, or reproof one another. And he mentioned something maybe unique in his days, but I think it's equally unique in our days, is we have to reprove one another when we are silent in the matters of our faith, when you are not professing your Christian faith before the world. And we are silent, and you keep quiet. And we have to reprove one another when we engage too much he never said too much. I add on the word too much. Idle and worldly talks. Now, worldly talks can give us an entrance into a good godly conversation. But sometimes we spend too much time talking about politics and forget to talk about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who rules over all politics and all kings and all princes. Of course, we prove one another when we fall into sin. Open sin. And the other one that he mentioned is very subtle, is waywardness. It's not open sin, nobody sees. But your brother says that, a brother says that I'm not walking in the Lord. My brother's, a brother says that I'm always uh, nagging my wife, always say bad things about my wife. Something is not right, right? How can you, I be nagging and talking bad things about my wife? Something is not right with me. And the brother come along and tell me, brother, I think you'll be unkind in your words to your wife. Ah, hey, these are missing things. We never tell one another that way, right? But these are the things that we ought and we can talk to one another. And the Lord pay attention to them. And the Lord hurt them. The beautiful thing, the Lord hurt them. The Lord pay attention to our conversation. And of course, in another part of Scripture, the Scripture says the Lord pay attention to our tears when we pray to Him. So our God Jehovah God is a very attentive God. 
gives him the details. And that's great for us. He knows our every heart cry to him. He knows our every conversation about him. Of course, they esteem God's name. Now, the name of God is man, his accents, or his attributes, or his person. So when they honor the name of God, or when they esteem the name of God, they are actually honoring God himself. This Old Testament language, we may not understand now in our modern world. Our name means nothing. Even the title name nothing. President, kings, so what? Just an ordinary citizen. But no, that in Old Testament language or in the Bible language, the name man his person. So when we honor the name of the Lord, we actually honor him. We esteem the Lord. Do you esteem the Lord? The people of God in Malachi's time do not. They do not esteem the Lord name. But by the very fact, they, even the priest says the table of the Lord is to be despised. You can see how low, they, how low esteem they have for God. The priest himself says that the table of the Lord is to be despised. It's how low, how lowly they esteem the name of the Lord. What about us? <clears throat> what about us? Do we take the name of God? In accent, do we take God's name in vain or his name in vain? And what is our heart esteem for the Lord? Only the Lord knows how much you esteem him, how much you prize him in your life. And again, Thomas Watson says the remedy to this is we are, our minds should be steep, steep in holy thoughts. It all happens in our mind, first of all. Our mind have to be steep in holy thoughts. We have seen the, what is contrary to genuine faith. We have also looked a brief description of genuine faith. And now we shall look at what are the blessings? What are the blessings of genuine faith in the Lord? We, we can read of that from verses 16b to verse uh, 18. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, the Lord hears. The Lord pay attention and the Lord hears them. The Lord pay attention to us. In a, you may think in a, in a, maybe not even in a, in a family, your parents are not paying attention to you. You may be thinking that in a, in a school, your lecturers, your professors are not paying attention to you because you're just one among the many students. Or in your company, you're just one of the many employees that is dispensable and disposable. In a church too, you may be thinking that I'm just a, a man of little gifts. I'm quiet. I'm shy. Nobody pay attention to me. But it's not true with the Lord. <clears> that this can be true in narrow. <clears throat> but the Lord 
says he pay attention and he heard us. We are precious in his eyes. We are the apple of God's eyes. The Lord pay attention to us. He knows our going in and our coming out. He knows our downs and our ups. He knows how hard heated you are by the trials and tribulations of life. He knows you are. He knows you are lonely. He knows you are hurt, and he knows. Indeed, no one, even in church, pay attention to you. But he, pay attention to you, because he is in you, and he is with you by his spirit. See, that's a, that's the divine comforter that we have often neglected in our lives. God is in us, and God is with us by His Spirit. There's not a time when you are out of God's sight, because He is in us by His Spirit. Isn't it a big blessing? Isn't it a huge blessing that when you are all alone, when you are hurt, when you seems, seems that no one, that, where you can turn to no one for help, the Lord pay attention and the Lord hears you when you cry up to Him in prayer. And the Lord also keep a book of remembrance for His people. See, this book of remembrance is interesting, especially in the light of uh, the, the message, in the times of the message was delivered. You see, in the Persian court, they have this uh, book of remembrance where they record down every act of every court officials. Remember in the book of Esther, Mordecai saved the king once. And immediately they write down on the book. And years later, maybe months later, not years later. I should not exaggerate. Or a time a time later when Mordecai was called up and he need and the king remember. The king does cannot remember many things, but it was his kind acts or his patriotic acts towards the kingdom was found in the book, was recorded in that book. And that book is called the Book of Remembrance in the Persian court. So likewise here, the Lord uses a contemporary example or contemporary illustration. Then, he said they will give a book of remembrance for his people. The name will be in this book because you belong to him. Not that we deserve to be in that book, but the Lord used a contemporary illustration then to drive home the point that he remembers his own. Just as the Persian king, how unforgetful he is, he, he remembers with the help of a book. But God cannot forget and God will not forget. God did not need to have a book, but to drive home the point. God says he will keep a book of remembrance for his people. And of course, in the book of Revelation, it was repeated. Similarly, the book of life. So these are, I would say, earthly examples that the Lord used to drive home the point, to make His people understand His truth. Is, uh, and the Lord owns them, owns the people of God as a treasure possession. Not only the people of God in Malachi's time, 
or the remnant. But also in the New Testament time, we read about the same thing. As Apostle Peter wrote to the Christians then, that we are God's treasure possession. We are a royal priesthood. We are God's treasure possession. Something that you treasure. I, I, I believe you treasure something in your life. You hold dear to something in your life. And you treasure it. And that is how the Lord treasures us. He owes us dear to his life. And he treasures us as a treasure possession. Unique. The word here is also unique. Depart from the world. It's different from the rest. With peculiar people. Treasure possession and a royal priesthood to the glory of his name. And of course, the Lord says also that he will spare them, spare his people from eternal condemnation. The sinful world, the sinful is heading towards eternal condemnation without Christ. But if you are in Christ, the Lord spares us from eternal condemnation because Christ has paid the penalty of our sin on the cross, on our behalf. And when we turn to Him in faith and in repentance, yes, one of the blessings of salvation is we will be spared from eternal condemnation. We'll be given eternal bliss instead because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And finally, the Lord will make a distinction between the godly and the wicked in the final days. There will be a clear demarcation of two people. One will be in heaven, and one will be in hell. The lake of fire. It's certainly there will be no one of us, if we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be put to hell. There will be a clear distinction and this distinction is a blessing, but yet also a terror to the unbelieving world. So if you have not received Christ in your life, I will urge you to do so now. The day will come, maybe not now. Now the church comprises of believers, unbelievers, fake believers, and genuine believers. But the day will come where the Lord will separate the goats from the sheep. While it is yet time. Come to the Lord now. It will certainly be the case at the end of days where the Lord will separate the two. That will come. Maybe sooner than we think. <clears throat> now what shall we say to these things? I would like to leave three thoughts for your con sorry, four thoughts. This morning, another thought come to my mind and we will go to, to on, on the fourth thought, but yeah, I'll leave, I would like to leave with your four thoughts for the day. First of all, let us thank the Lord for His manifold blessings. Yes, life may have been hard. You are excelled with trials, with tribulations, with sicknesses, with retrenchments, with all sorts of bad things in life, and you are tempted to speak hard things about God. You cannot praise the Lord. Not only can you cannot praise the Lord, you are tempted, and I am tempted too, to speak hard things about God. 
But let us take a step back and see. And count the many full blessings in your life. The Lord has blessed us, first and foremost, with eternal salvation in Christ. That is, that blessings covers all, covers it all. And the Lord has also blessed us with material blessings in Singapore, in the place of work, in your homes. Yes, you may not enjoy many good things in life. Your dreams, you may not be able to fulfill your dreams. There are many challenges ahead of you. And you are tempted to speak hard things about God. No. Rather, thank the Lord. Count your blessings and name them one by one. And you will be surprised. Lord, I bless you tremendously. And of course, secondly, we are to test ourselves. Test ourselves to see if we possess genuine faith in the Lord. See, the people of God of old, in Malachi's time, they live, a, I would say, a religious life. Just like the rest. Even though they offer polluted offerings, even though they go through the motions in their worship, at least they offer, offer something to the Lord, and at least they go through the motions of religion. But they are false, they are fake. They cannot stand a test of, of time. So we, but the Lord wants us not only to enjoy His salvation, but indeed to test ourselves, as Peter, the Apostle Peter has told us in his Apostles, to test ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. It's a hard truth. It's unpleasant to continuously test ourselves to see whether are we in the faith. But we are to do so in Christ. Not to look at our own merits, for we have none, but to see. Not to even look at our service for the Lord, not to look at how much we have given to the Lord, and how I have sacrificed every Sunday morning to come to church to hear this boring preacher, rattling away, sometimes at double speed, and I catch no ball in the end of the day. No, don't look at this, look at Christ. Now I'm, I'm combining my fourth point into this third, second point. Look at Christ. No. The writer to the Hebrews exhorts us to look at Jesus. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> look at Jesus, who is the leader and finisher of our faith. Look at Jesus. Don't look at yourself. We can't, there's nothing good that we can look in, in ourselves. Look at Jesus. Test yourself in the faith and look at Jesus. Christ has been there and done that and has finished the race for us. We can and we could and we can look at Jesus and cling hold to Jesus. And yes, and finally we are to transform. We are to seek transformation by the renewing of our mind in Christ. Romans 1, Romans 12, 1 and 2. As well as your life, your transformation of your life happens only when you are renewing your mind. That's why R.C.'s Pro Ministry is called Renewing Your Mind. And his life quest is to teach the people of God his word that their mind may be renewed, that their life may be transformed. 
You cannot re- transform your life without the renewing of our mind. You may seek to work your life out, get your life in order. You can do this, you can do that. No, you can't. It won't happen. It only happen when your mind are renewed by the word of God. Your mind renewed equal to and all can lead to a transformed life in Christ. No shortcut to it. So no matter how senior you are in the faith, we are daily we have to come before the will of God to be renewed by the will of God. That our life may be transformed and may even conform more to more, more and more to Christ. Transformation leads to conformity to, of course, the life of Christ. That's our pattern. That is our goal. To be conformed to the image of Christ in all endeavors. Indeed, may the Lord help us. We have examined what this genuine faith is like in the Lord. May we not look in ourselves, but look at Christ always. That He can. That with His empowering spirit, we can live more and more to be like Christ each day of our life while we wait for His return. Amen. Let us now seek the Lord in prayer. Let us pray.